We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. Um, I want to uh, share just a little bit of why we're doing this sermon today. We are just about to hit the fourth quarter of Daniel. We're still going to do that. Uh, we'll start that next Sunday, uh, Daniel chapter 10, and we'll do the last couple chapters over the next few weeks. Um, but wanted to take this Sunday, as Pastor Rod mentioned, and uh, address uh, the, the grief and the sorrow that comes with the death of the young because of what's happened at Grace College this week uh, with the death of Bethany uh, Nesbitt. Uh, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. Uh, just since it's the first Sunday uh, that we're back inside, before we dive into this, because it's a fairly heavy subject, a heavy text, wanted to share a couple housekeeping things. Uh, one is that uh, if you've been with us over the years or pre-COVID-19, you know that we usually would pass out bulletins. Uh, instead of bulletins right now, we're giving out just a simple order of service. So you'll get one of these each Sunday as you come in if you want to take one. Uh, it'll help you know kind of what we're going to do. And then on the back, there's just a couple of things uh, of what are upcoming in the life of the church. There's even an event tomorrow night called Missions Matters, which is Chris Jones in the room by chance? I heard Chris Jones was here. Is he not? Oh, he was here first service. He's going to, one of our missionaries, church planners that we sent out in, from, in Papua New Guinea. He's actually in town. He's going to be here tomorrow night, for example. So we're going to typically put a couple upcoming events there. But as far as the broad swath of things going on in the life of the church, we're wanting more and more for you to try to get the weekly email that we send out, usually on Friday each week. That's going to have a lot more details about all the things that are going on in the life of the church. So I'd encourage you to digitally check that out each week. If you don't get that yet, just contact the church office, and we will get that uh, to to you. Um, but yeah, we are going to be in Luke chapter 8 today, and we're going to be in verse 40, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter, down to verse 56. Uh, this Tuesday is November the 3rd. Uh, there's one thing in particular many people know is going on on Tuesday. Uh, it is election day in our country. There's a lot of churches giving sermons about that and whatnot. We're not doing that today, uh, but it is a big day uh, in the life of our country. We're going to have a prayer meeting tonight even at six if you want to come and pray for our country pray for our leaders pray for us as christians uh, but november the third excuse me this tuesday for my family is actually an additional something uh, for the last nine years we have called november the third zoe day uh, and some of you know what that's about, but if you don't, uh, what, what the reason we do that is back in 2011, soon after we had moved here, within a year or so of moving here, uh, my wife on November 3rd, 2011, delivered our daughter, who we named Zoe, but she had died partway through pregnancy, our, our daughter had. And uh, we, she was far enough along to be delivered. We, we buried her in a local cemetery. Uh, but every November 3rd, uh, which is election day this year, uh, we call Zoe Day. And we get to remember her, to remember where she is, remember where uh, she will be ultimately at the end of time. Uh, but her death, the reason I that her death has been one of the most impactful things in my life, in the life of my family that, that I've ever lived through. Uh, it has changed me, I think, as a person. And one of the ways that it has, it has in many ways, but it's given me a burden on my heart and my wife's heart for when people have young people, whether they're infants or even before they're born, uh, or teenagers, young adults, when there are young people who die, who are their loved ones, who are their friends, who are their acquaintances, their coworkers, their kids, their grandkids. Uh, we have this heaviness of heart. And so when I heard about Bethany passing away in her sleep, a few days ago, I felt compelled to preach this morning on this subject from this text of Christ and the death of the young. 
Christ and the death of the young. Uh, and I, 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 my hope is, even if you're not in the immediate throes of grief, if you didn't know Bethany, that it doesn't register with you, my hope would be that all of us would be mature enough and have insight enough to know that for some of this, this has happened in the past. We have loved ones that died young that we know long ago in the past. Some of us are dealing with it currently, but all of us, if we live long enough and if Jesus stays in heaven long enough, in this world we live in, that will happen to us. There will be people we know, people we love who die in our estimation too early, who are are taken from this earth uh, far too young. And my hope is that this text in particular, Luke 8, 40 and following, would be one that God uses today to minister to us, whether it's to process past griefs that we've dealt with and maybe processed long ago, whether it's to deal with the immediate things that we're dealing with right now or to even prepare us for when those sufferings and the death of the young come to us in the future. And I trust that he will do that uh, through his word today. So I want to read for you this text and then we'll walk back through it. This is Luke chapter 8, verses 40 down through the end of the chapter. So follow along with me in your copy of the scripture and we'll, we'll walk through this text together and see what God would have for us. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. For I perceive that the power has gone out from me, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of God. Many of you may be familiar with this passage, uh, have read it before, has particular significance for me as I read it thinking about my daughter and it may for you as you think about people who have passed away yourself. I want to uh, walk back through this text and show first uh, what I want to do is show two what I would call like painful realities 
that this story depicts for us. Things that are just clear, clearly depicted, but that are dark, painful realities about our world. And then after that, I want to show you and point out three particular ways that Jesus cares for the people who are grieving, Jairus in particular. And I want us in that then to see how he can care for us when we're grieving the death of a young person in our life. But I want to start by, by showing and, and, and pointing out in this text the two dark, painful realities of this story depicts. The first one, and these are going to be obvious, but I want us to feel the weight of them. The first one is going to be what I would call that the fallenness of our world. The fallenness of our world. You see this, I, I want to give at least some attention to the story of the woman who had, had bleeding issues for 12 years. So that's not going to be the primary focus of this text today, but it's interjected there in the middle, isn't it? Uh, in between the, the initial contact of Jairus and then the healing of his daughter is this story of this woman who'd been struggling with an issue of bleeding. And we don't know exactly what that was. We don't know all the details or diagnosis. But what her story shows us is that our bodies ultimately fail us. Our bodies ultimately fail us, don't they? As part of this broken world, our, our bodies fail us. Imagine being that lady in this ancient world where there's a lack of medical knowledge for just year after year after year. This wasn't 12 days or weeks or months. It was 12 years that she had been seeking help, that she had been no doubt praying to God, that, but that there was no resolution to it. Her body wasn't getting healthier. It seems like it was getting worse to where she's increasingly desperate and goes to try to find Jesus, who she's heard can heal. But I want you to note, too, that it wasn't just one lady coming to Jesus, was it? Did you know it was a, a mass of people? It was a crowd of people that were coming around Jesus. Peter even pointed out when Jesus says, who touched me? Peter's like, uh, Jesus, look around. There's dozens, if not hundreds of people here who are trying to come around you. And these weren't just people who were coming for a party, coming out of just intrigue. These were people who were coming with pains coming with ailments, coming with diseases, no doubt. If you look back even, it doesn't say that in this text, but if you look back at Luke 6, verse 17 and 18, a very similar thing had happened. And Luke said that Jesus came down with his disciples and stood on a level place and with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And he said their bodies were broken. They were experiencing some sort of sickness, and they're not recorded for us in Scripture, but there was this mass of humanity coming around Jesus with broken bodies. He said, help us, heal us, please. And, and I don't need to know what all your thoughts are about the coronavirus and COVID-19 and all this. I know that we have differences of opinions about that, but one of my hopes has been throughout these months and ongoingly, that as we see this wreaking havoc on people's bodies, that it has brought to our attention the, the, the magnitude of the numbers of people that die in general, no matter what the cause is. I think it's been staggering for some of us to just see massive numbers of people, massive death numbers from COVID, but also just the massive numbers of death in our world in general. And that is staggering when we stop and think about that. Our bodies ultimately fail us, every single one of us. In our fallen world, it's not just our bodies fail us, but even our treatments fail us, right? Did you note that she, it says that she had, she had spent all her money to try to go to physicians of her day and age to get treated, to have uh, something done to help her in this problem with bleeding, and nothing worked. And ultimately, for every single one of us, if Jesus stays in heaven, 
yourself included, there is going to come a point in time where the treatments for you don't work. Where the treatments for you fail. And it's right for us to press back against disease. It's good for us to seek treatments for things and to try to fight for life. But ultimately, we are in a losing battle left to ourselves against death, aren't we? We live in a broken world with fallen bodies, with failing treatments. We see that depicted in this story. But the second kind of big thing we see painted in clear colors in this text, and what I want to point to more, is that we see not just the fallenness of our world in general, but specifically with Jairus' daughter, we see what I would call the frailty of our young. The frailty of our young. This girl was about, Luke says, about 12 years old. I have an 11-year-old son. Uh, Some of you know him. You could picture a a kid about his age. And she's dying. She's laying on a deathbed in her house. We don't know what she was sick of or what, what was happening to her, but she's laying in her house dying. If you have ever been around a child who has disease, a teenager who's suffering with something, a young adult who is near to death, you know that there is this intensity of desperation that comes into our heart when a young person is sick, when a young person is drawing near to death. That doesn't come when older people are. There's just something about our human hearts. There's, there's a sense, I think, for right or wrong with older people that when they get closer to death, we feel this sense of inevitability where we're still grieved, where we're still uh, mourning, in a sense, the death that is coming for them. But when death comes near to young people, we start scrambling, don't we? We start trying to find answers. We, start, we think, surely there's got to be something. There's got to be. Like, this can't end this way. Like, this is not how life is supposed to happen. And we, we seek out everything we can. And we get desperate. There's, there's a saying uh, that a poet I love named George Herbert wrote long ago where he said, old men go to death, death comes to young men. There's this unnatural feel when death comes to young people that, that we... we but as it gets closer and closer, we feel this desperation and this heart sickness that we don't feel when it comes near to the elderly. And you can see the desperation in this dad, can't you? I don't know if you thought about this. His daughter, his only daughter, Luke says, 12-year-old daughter, is about to die. And every instinct in you as a dad would say, I'm staying right here. And he left her. And he goes to try to find Jesus because he's heard about him. He goes to him to try to find help, to try to find something, one last ditch effort. He's desperate. And we feel that desperation. But when, when sickness finally gives way to death in a young person, there is a grief that just gets multiplied far more than when the, the grief uh, of an older person who dies. Because it feels so wrong. Death is wrong. Death always feels wrong. But there's this exponential feeling of grief and and mourning that comes when young people die. And I think that that's right to feel. The, The death of older folks, I would say it this way, the death of older folks saddens us and the death of young people shakes us. There's something about it that that jostles something 
in our hearts that awakens something within us to realize more than ever before the brokenness of this world that we live in. We start to think about all the experiences we're going to miss with this person, all the things we've gotten to enjoy with them before that we're not going to get to do again with them. We, we've played how their life would unfold in our lives, and now we're realizing we're not going to get to do those things with them. We're not going to get to see them get married. We're not going to get to see them have a child. We're not going to get to see them flourish in the ways that we hope for them to flourish. There's a deep, deep grief. And we see it on display here in the death of Jairus' daughter. But what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about is I want to show you in this text how Christ cares for those who are grieving. When they're feeling, when you're feeling that brokenness of our world and the limitations of the treatments that we can have and you're feeling the weight of grief, whether in the past, the present, or the future, I want you to see in Christ's heart for Jairus and how he interacts with him. I want you to see how Christ wants to care for you. Christ will walk with you. And so I'm going to share three statements as we walk through this text to show Christ's heart for Jairus, and and I want you to hear his heart for you pertaining to grief. And the first one is going to be this. I, I think you see in this text that Christ doesn't prevent our grief. He meets us in it. Christ doesn't prevent our grief. He meets us in it. And what I mean by that is this. I don't know if you think in these terms, but when I read a story like this, my mind thinks, as, as he is made aware, as Jairus comes to Jesus and tells him, my daughter is dying, like he falls at his feet imploring, my daughter is dying. Jesus could have healed her right then. Even though he's far away, he doesn't know that he healed her from afar. And if you don't believe me, Read Luke chapter 7 right before this because he's already done that. There's a centurion who came to Jesus in Luke 7 and his servant was at the house sick and dying and without even going there, Jesus healed him from afar. Jesus could have done that for Jairus' daughter, couldn't he? Upon hearing that, he could have just from afar spoken a word and made her wake up then, make her be healed then, but he didn't. And if we we zoom out and just think of life more in general or even our own lives and the people that get sick around us and die around us, I think it's, it's a good thought experiment for us to think about. God could have created a world in which there is no grief, right? God could have created a world where there was no sin. He could have created a world where there was no death. But he didn't. He could have created a world without disease, but he didn't. He could have created a world without funerals, but he didn't. He could have, maybe as a half measure, created a world where there weren't funerals of young people. Couldn't he? But he didn't. He allows death to come even to the young. It's perplexing to us as Christians because we know Christ reigns over everything. Right now, he reigns over everything. He could put an end to sicknesses that people have. He could, he could obliterate them, but he doesn't. And our heart just agonizes, why? Like, why don't you end this grief? Like, why do you let it happen? Why do you bring it to us? Why do you let us sit in it? And I will not remotely claim to have all the answers to that question. 
But one thing you see in this text, and maybe you've experienced this in your own life, is, is one reason I know and I've seen that God allows grief to come, even through the death of a young person, is that it is something that draws us to himself in ways that we would not have come otherwise. It does. It draws us, our grief draws us to himself in ways that we otherwise would not have come. I want you to think about this question. If, if Jairus' daughter would not have been sick, if she would not have been near to death, would Jairus have met Jesus? Maybe, right? We're just speculating. He's a ruler of the synagogue. Maybe at some point he would have heard about him and made his way to hear him. But would he, more specifically, if his daughter would not have been sick, would he have come to Jesus the way that he came to Jesus? falling at his feet, imploring him, saying, please come to my house. Like, I can do nothing to protect my daughter. He wouldn't. He would have maybe come being intrigued, maybe come to hear a lesson, but he is broken in that moment because of his grief, and he comes to Jesus how we all should come to Jesus. And sometimes he lets grief come to draw us to himself. I've, I know this to be true in the life of my wife, for example. When she was in high school and I was just first, first starting to meet her, there was a friend, an acquaintance of her named Brad, who died in a freak accident, a high schooler. And it was something at a pivotal point in her life that God used to awaken questioning, to awaken intrigue with the Lord, to think about death, to think about the mercy and the grace that can come to us through Jesus. And God used that in her life to draw him to himself in a way that he otherwise wouldn't. And I would just want any of us, as we either are dealing with the loss and grief right now of a young person, or as we someday do in the future, to let those moments of grief when we may be tempted to walk away from Jesus and to be distant from him and frustrated with him. Why would you do this? Why would you let this happen? To let it be what he intends it to be, an opportunity for you to draw near to him, to fall at his feet. He doesn't prevent our grief. He meets us in it, and that is far better, even if we don't realize it. It is far better that we meet him in our grief and that we stay away from him in our comfort. I, I, the second thing that I think we see of how Christ ministers to those who have lost uh, a loved one who is young. Second statement I would say is this, that Christ isn't bothered by our grief. He bears it with us. Christ isn't bothered by our grief. He bears it with us. And where I want to point you in the text now is, is I want you to... to to follow what happens. So, so Jairus comes to Jesus, begs him to come, and Jesus, it seems, decides to start going with him, right? But then this lady is in the crowd, uh, comes up and the power goes out from Jesus. She's healed. G he, this man, Jairus, he witnesses Jesus heal this lady. He sees his power, and he'd heard about it. Now he sees it. He's probably, if I was him, I was thinking about this, I would be wanting to kind of hurry Jesus along, right? Like, hey, uh, let's, let's keep moving it here. Uh, let's get to my house. But he watches Jesus heal this lady. And then verse 49, somebody from right on the heels of it, somebody from his house comes and tells him, your daughter is dead. 
That would have hit him like a ton of bricks. Because when he left, she was at least still breathing. And now he hears that she's dead. And that messenger, we don't know what was going on in their mind. Maybe they're just trying to be respectful to Jesus. But then they say, do not trouble the teacher anymore. Did you see that? Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Like he's got other people here. He's got other stuff to do. Your daughter is dead. It's done. Jesus could have gone with that plan, couldn't he? He was kind of given an off-ramp if he wanted to take it. Say, I'm so sorry, Jairus. Like, I doubt Jesus would have just like dismissed them and not paid attention to him, but he could have just kindly said, I'm so sorry, Jairus, and let him go his way and then turn to the crowd, to that lady he just healed, to the other people who were there. But he doesn't. He turns and he talks to this man, verse 50, and what he says is, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And then it seems he keeps going towards Jairus' house with him, right? Jesus did not see Jairus and his grief to be avoided. He was given that off-ramp and he didn't take it. He stayed with him. And I want you to see in that Christ's compassion, his sympathy, his empathy for Jairus and his suffering and his grief, that he stayed with him, that he walked with him. We saw in that first point that Jesus allows grief to come. He doesn't just allow it and then abandon us and say, good luck, I'm so sorry, good luck dealing with that. Like he allows grief and then he grieves with us. And he grieves for us. I want you to imagine, this was fascinating, just thought for me to, to imagine this week or the last couple of days I prepared this. I want you to think about what happened between verse 50 and 51. They walked together, didn't they? They didn't have cars to just jump on or buses to jump on to go to his house. I want you to imagine what that walk was like. For Jesus to walk with this guy who just found out his daughter died. What sort of things were said or not said? What sort of questions were asked? What sort of stories were shared? Jesus walks with this man, Jairus, to his house. Jesus said very famously in Matthew 11, many of you know this phrase, he said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I want you to know that is not just something Jesus said 2,000 years ago to some people in some initial audience. That is something that the resurrected Jesus now, today, says to us as his people. Come to me, you who are weary. You who are heavy laden, come to me. Don't stay away from me. Come to me. I'll grieve with you. I'll bear this grief with you. That is our Savior's heart. That is his heart for you. Not just for Jairus, but for you. So he will bear grief with you. He's not bothered by you coming to him, by you crying to him, by you praying to him, by you asking for things. He, he embraces that. He bears your grief with you. And the third and last thing I would show from this text 
how Christ uh, ministers to Jairus and can minister to us is this. I would say this way. That Christ doesn't remove our grief. He adds hope to it. Christ doesn't remove our grief. He adds hope to it. I want you to note how Jesus speaks to Jairus after he hears that death blow, that the news of his daughter's death. Look at verse 50. When Jesus answers him, he says, Do not fear, only believe. And then listen to this. He says, And she will be well. Will be well. Not yet. Not right now. She will be well at some point. Okay, so there's this grief that he lets Jairus sit in that's unavoidable, that's weighty, but then it's like he adds seeds of hope to it. He doesn't just remove his grief and say, she's fine right now, I already healed her, everything's fine. He says, she will be well. And he's planting hope uh, seeds of hope in the heart of Jairus. And we don't know what they talked about on the way to his house, but as they get to the house, they see all these people weeping and mourning. And then Jairus hears him say, in verse 52, he hears Jesus speak to these people at the house and say, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. So he's implying, hey, she's about to wake up. Like, you, you've seen her dead. She's about to awaken. She's about to be even resurrected. And they just don't take this seriously at all. But Jairus hears Jesus say that. She's still dead. The spirit hasn't come, returned back to her yet. Jesus hasn't taken her by her, her hand yet. She's still dead, but he hears another seed of hope planted, even in the midst of his grief. And then they enter that room. And that would have been the first time Jairus would have seen his daughter lifeless there. And he sees Jesus go over her. She's still not alive yet. She's still grieving. And he sees Jesus come good on the seeds of hope that he's planted. The promises that he's implied will come true. And he sees Jesus take her hand and say, Child, arise. deep grief throughout that. I don't know if it was hours or what, but deep grief that he lets them sit in. The seeds of hope that are planted and finally they come to fruition. Finally, it grows into what Jesus has implied that it would be she comes back to life. Jairus, I think, was probably growing in hopefulness as they got closer that maybe he can do this. I, what, but what Jairus suspected was true what Jairus suspected could happen, that Jesus would raise his daughter up, we know Christ will do. We, what he suspected, that Jesus had the power to raise from the dead, we know to be true. Because of what happened to Jesus at the end of his life. You know, we need someone as human beings who have death all around us and death that even comes close to the young people in our life. We need someone who can be more than just a shoulder to cry on. More than just somebody to kind of help us through this. More than somebody to just kind of sympathize with us and have compassion. We need someone to defeat death. 
And Jesus is that person. Jesus didn't just console people who were grieving death. He didn't just give comfort to people who were grieving the death of children who died young. Jesus himself died young, didn't he? He didn't live in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 100. He didn't live that long. He was executed. He was put to death as a man younger than me. In his death, he wasn't just being our sins upon himself, our curse upon himself. And on the cross, he was punished to the point of death, bearing the full weight of our sin and judgment. And his body was laid in the tomb. He didn't just help other people face death. He faced death, experienced death himself. And other people mourned his death as a young man. But he walked out of that tomb. He he was resurrected in a way that was even far more profound than what Jairus' daughter was. He was raised from the dead with a body that would never die again, that would never get sick again, that would have no bleeding issues, that would have no doctor's visits, that would need no vaccines, would not need to wear masks, would not need to do any of this. He was raised from the dead with a body that would never suffer again. And the Bible says that he was the firstborn of a new creation. And Jesus has said he has promised that someday all human beings will be raised up in the same way. That includes me, that includes you, that includes Bethany, that includes my daughter. All human beings, past, present, and future, someday, Jesus has said, will be raised from the dead. We have a Savior who has defeated death for us. And it is okay Hear me, Christian friends, it is okay to grieve. It is good for us to grieve. It is needed for us to grieve. If we don't grieve, especially when death comes to a young person and we knew them well, it it should be a check in our heart and soul to think, why am I not? Why is my heart not breaking or sad because of this? We, re- we heard earlier Melissa read Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians where he wrote to these Christians and said, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. He wasn't telling them don't grieve. He was saying grieve in a way that's different from the world. Like they see all the suffering. They have death come near to the young in their life. That's unavoidable, inescapable. But as we see that, we also have the certainties of the hope of the resurrection mixed with it and underneath it and around it. We grieve with hope. And if young people that pass away, if they're united with Christ, when they're raised from the dead someday, they'll be raised not to eternal judgment but to eternal life. Often when we're in a state of grief, we should be doing this. We're mourning the things that we missed. We're mourning the things that we looked forward to. We're mourning the things that we don't get to do with that person any longer and that that person's not able to do here on earth. But as Christians who know the resurrection of Christ, we have something else we can look to as well. Not that we don't 
experience sadness and grief, that we have another place to look, and that's what we will do together with them again. They will be raised again. They will have the Spirit come back into their body. They will eat and drink and sing and play and dance and worship Christ and, and enjoy the new earth together with us. We have things that we will enjoy with them again. We mourn the things we miss, but we anticipate the things that we will get to do once more. We named our daughter Zoe on purpose. Not just because we thought it was, a, it, is, it was kind of a popular name at the time, um, but we named her Zoe because if, if there's any Greek students uh, in the room, you probably know that the word Zoe or Zoe in Greek means life. And we didn't get the privilege of holding our daughter, seeing her face alive and smiling and gugu and gaga and growing up. We didn't get to see those things. But we wanted even in her name to express our confidence that someday God will raise her from the dead. And I am confident that he will do that. As we greet the death of young people in our life or old people in our life, or think of our own death for that matter, we all can have confidence because of what Christ has done, that someday we all will be raised. Jairus, I'm jealous of Jairus, if I'm honest. Jairus only had to wait a couple hours, maybe, max, before Jesus raised his daughter. I and you and others, we may have to wait a few decades Jesus stays in heaven, we may have to wait a few centuries, if he's really patient, a few millennia maybe, who knows. But someday he's going to return. And the Spirit is going to return to every human being, even those that we have lost young. And that is going to be a Zoe day, unlike any other, right? Where life is given back forever. And on that day when Christ returns, all the sorrow, all the real intense suffering and grief that we walk through now will feel like what Paul says, slight and momentary affliction. Because it's going to be this weight of glory that we'll get to enjoy for all eternity to be with Christ, to be with his people forever. I look forward to that Zoe day, the one that we celebrate on November 3rd is sorrow mixed with with hope, but someday there'll be a Zoe day where all our raising will just be pure joy, uh, pure uh, delight with the Lord forevermore. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the, the